We're really excited to announce that our reopening services will begin May 2nd. We'll have one service only at 10 a.m. with limited capacity. Each week, we will open up online registrations on our website the Sunday prior at 9 a.m. For everyone joining at home, the live stream will be available at 10 a.m. Children's and Students Ministry will continue to be virtual with a future phased in-person restart. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. Let's uh, pray before we jump into our passage here. Heavenly Father, as we are studying this book of Ephesians, we ask for your revelation. We know you are in control, that you are head of the church. And we pray, Lord, for you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Past three chapters, Paul has laid out the basics of Christian doctrine. And he wrote about God's nature, God's purpose, what it means to be in God's family, uh, what a new creation in Christ is when there's so much division that we are united in Christ. And after laying down this foundation, Paul begins to move into how we are to live these things out in a practical way, starting from chapter 4 and on. We looked at uh, verse 1 last week, and it reads, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. To live in such a way that the unity Christians have in Christ will be maintained, you skip down to verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And as we spoke about last week, this is not something that we create. It's something we maintain. We don't create the unity as it was created by God. We maintain it. We, we uphold it. Now keep in mind who Paul wrote this letter to. It was written to a group that was extremely diverse. It was an extremely diverse group of Christians who were living very differently from the culture around them. And that they were totally set apart. They weren't common. They weren't like everyone else. They were holy. And they used to be like everyone else, but, but not anymore. And it's not because these Christians were trying to earn their way to God or were trying to work their way to acceptance from God. It's because God saved them. God came down to earth among us and, and we are now given the gift to be in Christ. So we are to be like Christ, not like everyone else. This is what the Ephesians dealt with. Ephesus was a very culturally influential place. Were, were, were they going to be influenced more by Ephesus or by Christ? Are we Bay Area folks more influenced by the culture around us or are we influenced by Christ? We live in a very culturally influential place. A place that strongly encourages us to voice the culture's opinions. And if we don't, there's this threat. This threat of being canceled for us today. And it's a culture that, that strongly encourages us to be arrogant, aggressive, impatient, selfish, and unloving. 
which is the complete opposite of chapter 4, verse 2, where it reads, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Unity, harmony, need those characteristics. There is no unity, there is no harmony without those characteristics. And Paul is not urging Christians to be what they aren't. He's encouraging us to be who we are in Christ. It's doctrine that provides the foundation to our actions. And the actions of Christians can't be separated from doctrine. We are united in Jesus Christ. Just as the Jewish Christians and the, and the Gentile Christians were 2,000 years ago, there, there was so much that divided the Jewish and Gentile Christians, but Jesus united them. And this is what Paul addressed in chapter 2. Paul wrote this then in chapter 3 of verse 6 of Ephesians. The Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In Christ Jesus through the gospel. It's, it's not because of a religious institution or, or a tradition that we're part of. We are part of the living gospel through Christ Jesus, the living Christ. He's not dead and neither is his gospel message of salvation to open the eyes of the spiritually blind. It's there to soften the hardest of hearts, to receive his love, to receive his grace for them. And it's for everyone. Anyone who will believe in the Lord Jesus will be saved. And Jesus did that for this incredibly diverse group of believers in Ephesus. There were so many differences among them, whether it's whether it was culturally, uh, ethnically, racially, and with, with so much bad history between them. Jesus unites them. A lot of problems we have as Christians is because we don't understand doctrine. And we don't understand the church. Many times we, we just want to do something without understanding who we are in Christ. Being in Christ does not mean that we have to just get busy doing things. Being a Christian is not about doing Christian things. Because non-believers can do Christian things. I think it's more about our culture. Our culture drives us to do. This is what we value as Bay Area U.S. Americans. And from doing, there are things that we earn. There is prominence that we gain. There's money that we earn. But you see how all of that is actually more selfish because it's about us. It's about what we can get out of what we do. It's not what we do within Christianity. It's all about God's grace what we've been given. God's grace brought us into a relationship with Him, into a relationship with each other. And these relationships we have with God and each other aren't for selfish gain. It's simply who we are with one another. 
We're this spiritual family simply living out who we are. God is uniting us and he is bringing us together in, along with this new heaven and this new earth that is not yet. And when we understand the doctrine laid out for us in those first three chapters, then we can put into practice what God has in store for us, such as in verse 3, maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 12, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And when we are united, we are, we are joined, we are equipped, we grow, we mature. Verse 16, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We're not going to cover all, all the verses um, that... We're looking at here. We're just going to be looking at verse 4 because there's all these ones there, right? So verse 4 says, There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. And so you'll notice that the word one appears three times in verse 4. But in, this, in these verses of verses 4 through 6, it appears seven times. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So it's very obvious that this one is emphasized. The emphasis is unity. But there's this important distinction to keep in mind because while we are called to unity as believers, we're not called to uniformity with the world. And just because we all wear the same uniform doesn't mean we're all united. Right? A, a team can appear together because everyone's in uniform and there's uniformity in, in how they look, but it doesn't mean that they're united in spirit and in heart. The unity of the church is beautiful in that it is united in spirit and in heart, even when there is a great diversity in the uniform. Now you just take a look at Christians around the world, united in Christ, but so diverse, very diverse. And Paul gives us a picture of this by writing that there is one body. Let me read for us 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. We're going to read through verse 31, um, but this addresses the body. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the one body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? 
As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And so you see how Paul likes to use the body as a metaphor for the church, like 1 Corinthians 12. He uses it several times in Ephesians, in in chapters 1 and 2, and now here in verse 4. And it's really easy, in terms of a metaphor, it's really easy to understand this. You've heard people say, you know, I I love Jesus, I like Jesus, but I hate the church, I, I don't like the church. I understand what you're saying. I get what you're saying. The part of the body that is Jesus is is perfect. It's perfect. But the parts that are imperfect, that's us. That's the church. So the mouth says hateful things. The the feet run away from pain. The hands are are selfish and, and they take things. Those eyes are judgmental. I I get it. But the thing is, is that Christ is still united with his church. And when people say that they love Jesus, but hate the church, that's an impossibility. Can you imagine going up to a person you love and telling them the body part of theirs that you absolutely hate? You know, that thumb of yours is just really disgusting. I hate it. And, and you just need to cut it off. You know, no, that's not how people are, right? The, the people that you truly love, you, you love that whole person. And actually, the part that they're most self-conscious about or that brings them the most pain or the most embarrassment, you tend to care for that part more, don't you? Of that person that you love in their entirety of their body. And then when that part is healed up, everyone's happy. We, We celebrate. Paul wrote about one body. One body. He does this in Romans also. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. 
And so, again, you see how Paul likes to use these body metaphors. Each one of us only has one body. And our bodies are enlivened, and there will be a time where we all die. When we die, there isn't just this one part that continues to live or, or other, many parts that continue to live. It's the whole body that dies. And this is a picture that Paul draws for us as the church, that we're one body. We are one church. There's only one church because there's only one spirit. The one spirit that indwells you is the same spirit that indwells every other believer in Christ. There's not a different spirit of God. There's one spirit. The one spirit is the same spirit to all Christians throughout history. There's one body, one church. There's this nature of the church that is one church, one body. It's, it's one body made up of many different people, parts throughout the world, throughout time. So who are these people and what makes these people part of this one body? This is why doctrine is so important. Because it's not to be based on one's opinion. How do you really know if you're part of this body or you're not? And if you are in Christ, you are in this body. Not as a matter of opinion, but as a matter of doctrine. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The, the question to ask someone to find out if they're a believer in Christ Jesus isn't, are you a Christian? The question to ask someone is, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Are you united in Christ? Are you in communion with Jesus Christ? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In Him, we have obtained an inheritance. Meaning, there's no spiritual inheritance outside of Christ. There's no spiritual adoption, salvation, or security outside of Christ. It's all found in Christ. And only in Christ this is doctrine. This is something for us to understand. This is not someone's opinion. This is doctrinal. Now, how do you know? By, by His amazing grace, we have a relationship with God and with the church. His church. The body. You become part of that body. One body. Just because you're, you're part of a church entity, organization, doesn't mean you're part of His church the organism, the body, the living body. You need to become part of the body. Just because you wear the same uniform doesn't mean you're part of that team. Right? It's, it's partly why here at Region we have Region community gatherings so that we can get to know people and they can get to know the church so we can hear their stories and how they're in Christ and be part of the one church body. Not that it's just our church, but the church body, universal. And it's not to find out what they've done, it's to see how they are in Christ, to understand if Ephesians chapter 1, 
13 has happened, which reads this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So these region community gatherings are coming up soon, and, and so please, if you've never been a part of it, please sign up. We'd love to get to know you. We'd love for you to hear about the church body as well as this individual one here that God has planted so that we serve this community. It's also partly why we have baptism classes. We have these baptism classes before the sacrament of baptism takes place for an individual to understand what they believe and to understand if they are in Christ, in the body, that they've professed their faith in Christ and confessed their sins to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is doctrine. And this is what we need to do is solidify our doctrine before we get into practice, which Paul gives us in the latter part of this letter. People see what we do. They see what we practice. But what we do and what we practice needs to be based off of doctrine, biblical doctrine. We are one body because there's only one Spirit of God. We are to maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Being one body means that we are part of it as we are in Christ. We are to be part of the church body that is made alive by the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit is absent from the church, that church is dead. Just as when the Spirit is absent of a person's physical body, that person is dead. And, and part of the miracle that people see is that in all that can divide us, we're still united in Christ. The church in Ephesus was, was diverse in so many ways. Different races, classes, cultures, upbringings, but they were brought together in Christ. And this is equally just as powerful a testimony for the church to have today. That in all of our diversity, we are united in Christ, indwelled by the Spirit. That people would identify us by the fruit of the Spirit. Found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This fruit of the Spirit is evident in Christians. All over the world. All over the world. We have different educations and finances, families, but this is something evident in believers in Christ throughout the world that people can see that in us. And if you've ever traveled to another country and you've met a fellow Christian, you've seen this. You've experienced this. Take a look at chapter 4, verse 4 again. Just as you were called to the one hope, that belongs to your call. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul wrote this. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Sometimes when we think of hope, we just think that it's wishful thinking, that it's a, a wishful hope. Now, Paul isn't 
writing like this. Paul wrote of a hope that is certain, a certain hope. And Paul wrote this about hope in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And continuing on in Romans, down to Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 24. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Continuing on in Romans Paul writes a lot about hope in Romans. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And here's the last one, Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. When there is no hope, there's no life. We can't live without hope. And ultimate hope is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who resurrected from the dead and is victorious over death and its sting. And whatever is your greatest pain, whatever is your greatest fear, Jesus is victorious over all of it. He overcame death. He overcame darkness. I remember when I was a kid, and um, I, ho I heard how old my dad was, which is around how old I am now. And I thought to myself, I remember this as a kid, that, you know, my dad's going to die soon because he's so old. And, and it's funny looking at it now because I'm, I'm that age, and my dad is still alive, but I wonder if my kids think this is the very same thing that I thought when I was a child. But to confess to you honestly, I, I do feel the aches and the pains associated being in my late 40s. I'm, I'm just simply not as nimble or quick or flexible. It takes me a lot longer to recover from soreness. I used to be able to kneel for hours. Can't do it anymore. Like my right knee just can't stand it. My ankles just can't take it for very long to kneel. It's a lot easier to gain weight. It's a lot easier to lose hairs. My, my vision is worsening. All of this is happening right before me. And if I didn't have God, it's all pretty depressing. It's not hopeful at all. But, but God dealt with our sin with his victory over death. And there's hope that this physical body isn't all that we have to look forward to and what happens to it. That there's a hope after these tents of ours are drawn down. Otherwise, it's pretty hopeless what we're heading toward, isn't it? If all we're looking at is just the natural world, the physical world, and what is happening to us, that's pretty hopeless. 
But thank God for the unity that we have in Christ, in his one body. Thank God for the one spirit who enables, guides, instructs us, keeps us. Thank God for the one hope that it's not just wishful thinking, but that it belongs to those who are called by him. And we need to share the good news of Christ with others to have this hope. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we as your church, the one body, asking you, Holy Spirit, the one spirit, to equip us to share the one hope with others in this world who do not know it. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy that you have gifted us. May we share it with others in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your communion elements, uh, please take those out and we will take communion together. First, let's take the wafer, the bread, what you have to symbolize the body of Christ. This symbol showing the body of Christ as broken, broken for us, that it's shared among us all, that we will partake with one another as one body. And so if you have a hatred, a bitterness, a resentment towards another in the body, would you refrain from taking this now and deal with those things, seeking restoration, seeking forgiveness, And as you are ready, let's take this together. And we have the fruit of the vine to take together, symbolizing the blood of Christ that's spilled for us. And as he died and in his death was laid in the tomb, he resurrected and was victorious over death. That the thing that we will all encounter in death. He has overcome. And that we are not in darkness forever, but that we can enter into light and fellowship with Jesus Christ. Let's take this together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for communion, that we have it with you, and that we have it with each other. And I pray, Lord, that you bring us together in love, maintaining peace with one another. In Jesus' name, amen.